0: Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you are in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. Good morning, everyone. Today today is actually a holiday, and we're going to be talking about that today. And uh, this is the beginning of what in the Bible is called the Feast of Trumpets. So I just brought my shofar here so you know what kind of trumpet we're talking about. I'm not very good at playing this thing, so just bear with me. I just want you to hear this because we're going to be talking about this. I'm not going to keep playing it, okay? So hold your ears. So that's what a trumpet sounds like when you hear about trumpets in the Bible. But the guys that officially do this do this much better. Now someday you're going to hear that sound. And when you do, you're going to see dead people coming up out of their graves. And if you're still alive, just hold on because you're next. And we'll be talking about that this morning a little bit. We finished with the book of Acts. And uh, I just want to do, I'm pretty sure it's just going to be a three-part series. And we're going to be talking about the fall uh, feasts, the feasts in the Bible that come in the fall. And uh, hopefully you'll you'll get some good information about them, but I really have a word on my heart that that uh, it, they're, they're very prophetic. That is very much related to where we are today as a church and where we are in the world today. And so the title that I've picked out for the, the series is A Season of Hope. A Season of Hope. And you'll understand why as we go through this. That this is a time of hope. Hope is something that most people around the world today are not feeling. It's something that is beginning to be lost to people. And I want us to draw our attention to the heavens uh, during this season. I was talking with Tanya this morning, and I was just thinking about how we have these seasons that are set out in the Bible, and they're very prophetic. They're, They're very important. And most of us as Christians... Not, if we're not Jewish, we don't even know about these holidays very much at all. And we need to know about them. Uh, we celebrate uh, what we call Easter. I, you know, Very bad name for that holiday, by the way, if you go into the history of it, but it doesn't really matter. We call it Easter, but it's really Passover. And we celebrate that because of the fulfillment and how Jesus Christ fulfilled that uh, holiday. But we don't focus very much on the fall Uh, feasts, on the things that come in the fall, because we don't really know what they are, but we need to focus on them, because they speak about the second coming of Jesus. In fact, I can tell you with, you know, I'm going to say 100%, but I'll go with 99% certainty that I know when Jesus does come back, he's going to come back in the fall. And the reason why I know that is because he fulfilled the spring feasts exactly to the day. I mean, the days are set out there for us so we're going to be talking about that so during this season during this this fall i don't think he's coming back this year but he might be but i don't think he is coming back this year but we should have an understanding that we are celebrating and we are focusing on the second coming of our lord so whatever is going on in the world around us we need to have hope we need to have the hope of our resurrection the hope of the glory of the lord in our lives so we're gonna start this morning by speaking about the feast of trumpets, which is called Yom Teruah. Yam means day, Yom Teruah. And that literally means a day of blasting, a day of blowing the trumpet. Okay? So in with your bulletins, there's an insert. And I just gave this to you as an insert so you can just keep it with you. It's not really deep detail, but it gives you a little bit of an understanding of the seven uh, feast days that are commanded by the Lord in Leviticus chapter 23. Now, these aren't the only holidays that are celebrated in Israel, and some of them, this one in particular, have a different name now, but these are the seven biblical feast days that the Lord uh, commanded them. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord commanded them to take time off from work? Isn't it wonderful that the Lord commanded them to rest? And in fact, as we'll see, Leviticus chapter 23 begins before the seven feast days are set out with a command that you should rest every seventh day, that every Sabbath you should take a day off. So if you look at that chart, if you have that there, and you'll just look at it, I'll just go over it real quickly. Uh, The first four feasts or the first four holidays, I'll just use the word holiday, The first four holidays uh, that we have in Leviticus chapter 23 that are commanded by the Lord, they're spring holidays. They come in the springtime and they coincide with the harvest of grain. So in Israel, they would harvest the wheat first and then they would harvest the barley. And these, these harvests would happen in the spring. And then the last three holidays, they're fall holidays, and they coincide with the harvest of the fruit, uh, mainly the olives and the grapes. So then, you know, other fruits were harvested in, in the uh, fall also, but those are the main ones we see in the scripture, the harvest of the olives and the harvest of the grapes. And the first four holidays were all fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. And the last, they're all prophetic. The last three holidays await their fulfillment and they will be fulfilled in the second coming of the Lord. So if we begin with the first one, it's, it's Passover or Pisach. And Passover, is, it's commanded that it would begin on the 14th day of the first month. And I'm going to go through this because this is going to be important to an understanding of the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, on the 14th day of the first month. So the calendar that God is using in Leviticus chapter 23 is a lunar calendar. You know the word month actually means moon. It's where the word comes from. So on the 14th day of the first moon, of the first month. So the, the uh, month begins on the new moon, which today is actually the new moon. And that's when you don't see the moon at all. Or if you do see the moon, it's a very tiny sliver, very tiny, tiny crescent. The moon's completely dark. So that's on the 14th day of the first month. That's fulfilled uh, with the crucifixion of Christ for our sin, as the Passover lamb. And that was the first great gathering. And what, what that means by that is there are three holidays uh, when all, there are six holidays, all, there are six of these seven when all the children of Israel were encouraged to come to gather at the house of the Lord, but they were commanded to come on Passover. They all had to come at the time of the New Testament to Jerusalem because that's where the temple uh, was. Then the second holiday is called unleavened bread. And that comes on the 15th day of the first month, so on the very first day, the very next day right after Passover, whenever that would fall. And that lasts as a feast for seven days of unleavened bread. Uh, and that's fulfilled by the burial of Christ. He was buried as a grain of wheat, what unleavened signifies without sin, that he was buried as a grain of wheat. Without sin, remember Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it cannot bear much fruit. But if it is buried in the ground, then it will bear great fruit. And Jesus was indeed buried for the day of the unleavened bread. And then the third holiday is called first fruit, first fruit. And it doesn't mean, uh, I, I mentioned the fruit was harvested in the fall. Um, it, it literally means the, the first uh, shocks of wheat that the first fruit of the wheat harvest were to be brought in. And that was celebrated, pay attention to this, so unleavened bread goes for seven days, right? Okay, so on the first Sabbath of that unleavened bread, whatever that first Sabbath is, that Saturday, okay? On the next day, which is always a Sunday, on a Sunday morning, the first fruit would begin uh, that holiday. And so, of course, that's fulfilled by the resurrection of Christ as the first fruit of our resurrection. And that is our great hope. So Jesus indeed was raised from the dead on that Sunday morning in fulfillment of that prophetic holiday set out in Leviticus chapter 23. And then the fourth spring holiday is called Pentecost, and, uh, or called uh, Shavuot in Hebrew, but it's called Pentecost from the Greek, and it means the 50th day, okay? So Pentecost try to grab onto this for now, because it'll be important in a minute, is celebrated according to the command that the Lord gave in Leviticus chapter 23. It should be on the first day after seven Sabbaths are counted from the Sabbath of Unleavened Bread. So the Sabbath of Unleavened Bread is the day before first fruit, okay? That's the day Jesus is buried. And then you go from that Sabbath and you count seven Sabbaths, so seven weeks, and that's 49 days, right? And on the first day, after the seventh Sabbath that is counted from the Sabbath of the Unleavened Bread, this is all set out in Leviticus, will be the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost always came on, on the day that we call Sunday. Uh, of course, they didn't call it Sunday, Sunday's a pagan name for that day, but uh, it would always come on the day that we call Sunday, right? So Pentecost Sunday came And of course, that is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, the book we just went through, uh, with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is a part of the whole event of the ascension of Christ into heaven. So it's fulfilled by Christ, he's ascended into heaven, and he sends his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and all the nations, all the Jews from every nation on earth were gathered together, because that's the second great gathering, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. All of that has been fulfilled. And more or less, we understand those holidays because we celebrate those holidays still um, to one degree uh, or another. But then we have the three holidays that come in the fall and coincide with the harvest of the olives and the grapes. And the first of those is what we're going to be talking about today is the Feast of Trumpets. And that comes on the first day of the seventh month. That's important. We'll be talking about that soon. And this is fulfilled. With the gathering of the dead in Christ in the first resurrection, when that trumpet that I just blew on sounds, the last trumpet sounds, and I believe with all of my heart you'll hear that sound from heaven. And I'll show you that in the scripture in a few minutes. But uh, the, the last trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised, and those who are in Christ and are still alive on the earth, we who are alive and remain, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, we will be what's commonly called raptured. Also not the best word, but it's what we call it. We will be gathered together. We will exit this earth and be, meet the Lord in the clouds, in the air, together with those who have been raised from the dead. And then we will come back to the earth together with them. And we will be changed and receive resurrection bodies. I keep saying we because I, I hope I'm in that group. But honestly... Uh, The scripture says in Revelation that those who are dead in Christ are blessed. And they're more blessed because they actually get to go first. So don't fear death. There's nothing scary about it. It just means you get to go first. Whoever's still alive on this earth, they'll go second. But it will all happen as one great uh, event. And then comes the Day of Atonement, which is called Yom Kippur. And that comes on the 10th day of the 7th month. And that is will be fulfilled with the actual second coming of Jesus to this earth, okay, when we come back to this earth together with him, and uh, that's actually the only, we'll talk more about this later, but the only holiday when everybody's commanded to stay home, because nobody can fulfill this except for the high priest, who is Jesus Christ, and then comes the seventh holiday, which is called Sukkot, or the day of, or the feast of tabernacles, and. We say tabernacles, and my particular version says booths. We'll talk more about that later, but that's when everybody was commanded to go camping. And they had to come to Jerusalem. They all had to come to Jerusalem, and they had to put up their tents, but they weren't tents. They had to build uh, what they call in Russian shalashi. I don't really know what it's called in in English, but in your King James Bible is going to say tabernacles. They had to get sticks and everything and build themselves little temporary dwelling places and dwell in those. And this is to be fulfilled with the kingdom of God established on this earth and the 1,000-year reign of Christ, which if you come on Tuesday evenings, we just studied and went over. Okay, amen. So that's with you. Just keep that with you. And we'll be using that to have an understanding of these as we go through this. And you can refer back to that. So let's talk about the Day of Trumpets, Yom Tiruah, uh, which is celebrated this very evening, beginning this evening, with the new moon. And it's actually celebrated for two days, even though in the scripture, it's commanded to celebrate for only one day. And I'll tell you why in just a few minutes, that's actually quite significant. So the day of trumpets, Yom Tu is now called in Israel and all around the world, if you were to talk about it, it's called Rosh Hashanah. And Rosh Hashanah means the new year. Today, this evening, beginning this evening, is the Jewish new year. But it's called Rosh Hashanah, and it's been called that for over 2,000 years. Um, but that's not really a biblical name. That's not a biblical understanding. That's an invention of the rabbis. I'm not saying it's a bad invention. It might be a perfectly good invention, but it's an invention of the rabbis. And most Jews today don't even have an understanding of this because it's just celebrated as the Jewish New Year. And, uh, but it's not really the New Year. Because I just told you that uh, Passover comes on the 14th day of the first month. And that this is celebrated on the first day of the seventh month. So how could that be the new year? Well, it's not the biblical new year. But over time in Israel, they conceived a civic calendar that runs uh, adjacent to what you might call the religious or the biblical calendar. So it's the new year of the civic calendar. And this was an invention during, that came back from the Babylonian captivity, okay? And I'm not saying there's anything evil about it, but it's something that has obscured the true meaning of the day of trumpets, okay? And that's gonna be important for you to understand. The rabbinic tradition, you know, Jesus talked about those rabbinic traditions, That He said, because of your traditions, you've rejected the scripture itself, and you don't understand what the scripture says. Not that traditions are bad. We have a lot of traditions, and many of them can be very good. The whole tradition of Easter, I mean, it's great, but all the traditions of bunny rabbits and chocolate, and I like chocolate bunnies, I don't care. I like getting candy in the morning. I don't have a problem with it, but if it obscures for people the real meaning of what we call Easter or the real meaning of Christmas, then then it's, it's a bad tradition. It's become a bad tradition, because we forget what it's really all about, OK? So originally, the Day of Trumpets, open up Exodus chapter 19, please. Exodus chapter 19. Originally, the Day of Trumpets was established as a memorial to put God in remembrance. Now, if you're not familiar with this phrase, putting God in remembrance, then you might think that that sounds kind of strange. But it's a very biblical phrase, that we are to put God in remembrance. When I pray, and when you pray, you should do this. When I pray, I put God in remembrance of his word. And it's not because he's so old that he forgets things. But I'm agreeing with him. I tell him, God, it says in your word, this is the promise that you have made to me. And I am standing on that promise. I'm not trying to convince God of something that he doesn't want to already do, but I'm entering by intercession into somewhat of a contract with God. I'm joining hands with God and saying, yes, I really believe this, so I put you in remembrance of your word, and God wants us to put him in remembrance. The way we really put God in remembrance is what we're really doing on a different level is we're reminding ourselves is what we're doing. And by reminding ourselves, we join ourselves to God's covenant and we put him in remembrance of this. So all of these holidays were set up for that reason. All of these feasts were set up for that reason so that we would not forget the covenant that God has made with us and we would put him in remembrance of this. We do this once a month on the first Sunday of the month. And maybe you don't understand these words that Jesus said. But he said, when you receive this bread... When you receive this cup, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. That does not mean so that you don't forget who Jesus is, okay? It means put yourselves, put me in remembrance of the covenant by putting yourselves in remembrance of the covenant. Bring that back fresh to yourselves and re, I actually like the English word here, remember it. You know, like, like a Lego thing you built that fell apart. Put it all back together. Remember this as often as you do this. We do it in the church uh, together once a month. It's kind of our tradition. But there's certainly nothing wrong with doing it once a week. There's certainly nothing wrong whether you actually use the elements or not. and, And something very right of putting yourselves in remembrance of this and God in remembrance of it every single day. So we put God in remembrance. And that's what the Feast of Trumpets was established for, the day of blasting, the day of blowing the trumpet. Uh, Obviously, if you hear that sound, it's going to remind you of something, right? Like an alarm going off. So look with me at Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19 and 20 uh, specifically deal with the children of Israel when they're first in the wilderness and they come to Mount Sinai and God gives them the law, okay? And in Exodus chapter 19, It says, I'll just read a few verses. It says in verse 3 that Moses went up to God into the Mount of Sinai, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. So he didn't make all the way up, he's part way up, and God's calling down to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. And this is what the Feast of Trumpets is about. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings. And brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. If you know your Bible well enough, you know that these words are repeated in the New Testament that we are a holy nation, we are a kingdom of priests. And this is applied to all who are in Christ Jesus, for Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. And whoever is in Christ Jesus is the true Israel. And I'm not saying that to disparage Jews in any way at all, because that's absolutely not what Paul teaches at all or what the New Testament teaches, that they are the Jewish nation is the natural uh, branch of the olive tree. And we have just been grafted in, but they are being grafted back in also, and we're seeing that happen today. But we are all Israel. We are a holy nation. We are a kingdom of priests. And to be a holy nation means that we are separated from Egypt or from Babylon or whatever moniker God's putting on the world in that particular scripture. We are separated from Egypt. He says, you know that I took you from Egypt. And this actually, (coughs) prophetically, is speaking about the Day of Trumpets. It's speaking about that last trumpet. It's speaking about that resurrection of all who are in Christ in the first resurrection and what we commonly call the rapture. That we who are alive and remain on this earth will be changed in a moment and we will be caught up in the twinkling of an eye as the King James says it. And we will receive a resurrected body and we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the cloud of glory that's coming. So what do we have here at Mount Sinai? We have a cloud of glory on top of that mountain, right? And Moses going up the mountain. And Moses is a type, prophetically, of Jesus Christ. He's not Jesus. And in fact, a big deal is going to be made of that in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, and by Jesus himself that Moses himself spoke of a prophet who would come, who is like me. And that's about Jesus, the prophet who would come. But he is a type and a picture of Jesus. So he's going up the mountain for the people. He's making a way for the people. And the first thing God says is, you know how I carried you on eagles' wings. Well, where do eagles go? They soar, right? They don't come down and land on the ground. I guess they do sometimes, but you don't see that very often. You see eagles soaring up. Eagles go up. So the bearers on eagle's wing, uh, wings speaks of this rapture, speaks of this resurrection, speaks of this being gathered into the cloud of glory, gathered uh, un, unto the Lord. And the first thing that God says to Moses is, you tell the people that I have a covenant with them, that they are my people. They belong to me. They are possessed by me. This is a very important thing for us to understand in the Day of Trumpets. Because the Day of Trumpets is a day of reminding ourselves of our separation from this world. You know, you could have two rivers. You've got the, uh, you know, west branch of the Walker River. You've got the east branch of the Walker River, right? And then here in this valley, they come together and it just becomes one river, right? And you can have people that they live in Christ and they're Christians and they go to church and for a time they're completely separated from the world. But it doesn't really matter if you've been separated from the world for a time. What's gonna matter is when that last trumpet sounds, are you separated from the world then? are Are you walking in the covenant that we have with the Lord? It doesn't really matter how you begin a race, does it? What really matters is how you finish the race. And that's what's spoken of in the scripture over and over again. And the day of trumpets is a day to remind ourselves of that that these two rivers should never mix together. I'm perfectly happy the Walker River does uh, end up together, but they come from completely different sources. They come from completely different places, and so we should never mix in with the world. The Lord has taken us out of Egypt. So he says, you go and you remind them about this. This is also something important, because the Ten Commandments that God gives here on the mountain, they're they're still in force today. Every one of those commandments has a meaning for us in our lives as as Christians today, right? But I want you to understand that God does not give the law and then give the covenant. This is really important. The law is not uh, the foundation of the covenant. The law is given so that we can walk according to the covenant by leading us to Jesus Christ. Okay. What comes first is the covenant. The law comes second. You don't have the Constitution first and then the Declaration of Independence, do you? You have a Declaration of Independence on which the Constitution is based. You have a covenant that's made by God with us as his people. And so the covenant comes first and the covenant comes last and the law is, is given as uh, in, in addition to the covenant. It's added to the covenant. So look at the over at Exodus chapter 20. Now if you took the time to read through these chapters, you'd see that God is saying to them basically, just in brief, I want them to be in my cloud of glory. But they are so stiff-necked and rebellious they cannot be right now because Moses could not make a way for them. He is only a type of Jesus Christ. But God does say, I want you to be there. I want you to be with me. Now what does Jesus say to his disciples who were all just as stubborn and stiff-necked as the children of Israel? and as we are today. But Jesus said to those stubborn and stiff-necked guys, he said, I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you might be also. So Jesus makes a way for us to enter the glory of God. Moses could not not do that. So don't, you know, we can only take the type so far in, in this. We're not in that situation anymore, where God's saying, you can't come into my glory. You can't come to me. And yet we can learn something from that, that we need to have a fear of God in our lives. We need to not treat God's presence like it's just nothing and we can trample on it and do whatever we want with it, because that's not true. God is holy, and his presence is holy, and there is no sin in his presence. So if we come into his presence not by the blood of Jesus, or trampling underfoot the blood of Jesus, as the scripture says, then we come with our own sin, you can expect to be destroyed. You can expect destruction to be working in your lives because, because God is holy. We need to walk in, in, under the blood of Jesus and live in that and come boldly into the presence of God, but come by the blood of Jesus, by his grace and by his mercy, and not by our own merits of saying all these commandments I have kept from my youth up. Remember, that's what the rich young ruler said to Jesus. Because you know it's a lie. You haven't kept these commandments from your youth up. You've done nothing but break them over and over again. All of us have. Okay, So it's a lie. So don't come to God with your own merits. Don't come to God. We don't come to God bragging about what we've done. We come by his grace. So look with me at Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 18 through 20. And this is right after God gives the Ten Commandments. Okay, it says in verse 18. All the people perceived, and I'm going to talk about that word perceived in a minute. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning, flashes, and the sound of the trumpet. This is what the day of trumpets was established for in Leviticus 23, to remember this moment. But it's not the moment of the Ten Commandments. That's just added to it. It's the moment of the covenant that God made with his people to say you're separated from this world. You are my possession. You are my royal priesthood. You are kings and you are priests. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But let not God speak to us or we will die. Now that's actually something very prophetic in that also about Jesus. Moses being a type of Jesus. We can't deal with the Father God directly right now. We need a mediator between God and man. We need you, Jesus, the Son of God, and the Son of Man, who died for our sin, who rose again from the dead to be our mediator. We can come to God only through you. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. So the people, people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. So the blasting of God's trumpet happened on that day. And it was that sound that I just made, but much more powerful and I'm sure much more beautiful. And, but when it happened, there's something really interesting written here. It says the people perceived it. Well, they've just written, written the word uh, perceived here in English. Um, because it kind of works better in English. But that's not what it says in Hebrew. It says in Hebrew, all the people saw. All the people saw. Listen to this. This is what it literally says. All the people saw the voices, not thunder. They saw the voices and the shining flashes, not lightning. It wasn't just a storm that happened on the top of Mount Sinai. All the people saw the voices and the shining flashes, and they saw the voice of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. Well, I don't need to tell you this. You don't see sounds, do you? You hear sounds. But there are certain sounds. There could be certain smells. There could be certain memories you have in your life associated with a sound or a smell. That is so powerful that you see it on the inside. You see it. You literally see it. You perceive it. You grasp it. You understand it. You know what that sound is and what that reminds you of. You know what that smell is. You know what that's like. So they, it was so powerful. It was so loud. It struck such fear into them. They were afraid. They trembled. It was not an evil fear, like the fear of the devil, but it was the fear of God this awesome reverence for God, and they knew we cannot go near him without a mediator. We need somebody between us and God because we know our own sin, especially after the Ten Commandments had just been, been given. And so this is what is said. The people saw the voices and the shining flashes and the voice of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. Now go with me over to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. If you can find that. It's going to be after the 1st and 2nd Chronicles part in the history books, of the way they're organized in the Old Testament. Okay, we got Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. There's actually an arrangement to the way the books are put there. They weren't written in that order. They are just put in that order. And uh, Nehemiah, uh, chapter, eight, chapter 8. If you don't know the book of Nehemiah, just go home and read it. It's an awesome book. But Nehemiah, chapter 8. This is after the return from Babylon, and they're rebuilding the walls, and they've done that, (laughs) and it says in chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, and all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, they just built this wall, and they asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, or the scrolls of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. So you've got men there, you've got the women there, and you've got all the children who are old enough to understand, okay? And I'm sure the babies are there too, but they're just in arms. Everybody's there, everybody comes to church. They're all gathered together there, it says the men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. And when did this happen? On the first day of the seventh month. So this is the day of the blasting of the trumpets, okay? He read from it before the square, which was in front of the Watergate, from early morning, that's not with Nixon, Watergate. Don't, I know when, when you read that in America, you're like, Watergate? Okay, in front of the Watergate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to, attentive to the book of the law, And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for the purpose. So he had a pulpit, and beside him stood, and I won't read all those names, those are all Levites that stood with him on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, kind of like where I'm standing today. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. I actually used to go to a church where every time the pastor read, everybody stood up. You don't need to do that. But they reverenced the word of God, and they listen to the word of God. So they're standing while he's reading, and he's reading the first five books of the Bible, okay? (laughs) It's a long time. Then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting up their hands. Kind of lifting up hands has been in the news this week, if you've noticed, the world's freaking out about lifting up hands now. Well, lift your hands to God. It's a Bible thing to do. While lifting up their hands. And when they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And you can do that in church too. Also, and there's all those names again, the Levites, explained the law to the people. So Ezra reads it and they teach. There's a reading and teaching session going on. And they're taking turns teaching and Ezra's reading from the law. Explain the law, the, the law means the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. Explain the law to the people while the, the Torah, uh, while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Because they've been gone for 70 years. They don't even understand the old Hebrew very well anymore. Okay? They're already speaking an Aramaic tongue, which is like a modern Hebrew, um, so that they understand the reading. Then Nehemiah who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. They explained to them, this is a holiday. You don't know about this because you haven't celebrated this in over 70 years. And we weren't doing a very good job of celebrating it before the captivity. This day is a holiday. In fact, they were doing a terrible job. One of the reasons God said that he sent them into captivity is because for 490 years they had not kept the Sabbath. And so they're going to have 70 years of rest for the land. It's going to get its rest. The land will get its Sabbath, even if you don't honor it. And so they say, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. That's prophetic of the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a time of weeping. I think when we stand before God, when we stand before the coming Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be like John in Revelation. We'll want to fall like dead people. We will want to weep. Doesn't it say in Revelation that all the tears shall be wiped from their eyes? It doesn't say you won't cry, but they'll be wiped away. It's okay now. Everything's okay. Because I just cannot imagine standing in the presence of Jesus and not Feeling my failures, my guilt, my faults, and knowing in the, in that, in the, in under that, the radiation of his presence, that light, just being, just being feeling like I should be utterly destroyed by that radiation, and yet at the same time feeling something even more powerful washing over me, and yet you are giving me new life. You want me to be in your presence. You love me. And we need to know how much God loves us today. This is a holiday. It's a season of hope to know God's love for us no matter what's going on in the world. So they wanted to weep, but they said, don't weep. And the Levites calmed all the people down saying, be still for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had, made known, had been made known to them. They understood this. Remember I said in the message, I think it was last week, whatever I said, <laughs> Or we depression is a sin. And then people, some people didn't get upset, but they're like, what? Just, it's a disease. Okay, okay, maybe it's a disease, whatever. It's a condition, whatever. But God doesn't want us to be depressed, okay? And that means it's a sin. So the Levites are saying to them, stop crying. That's a sin. You're not supposed to cry. It's a holiday. God commanded you to have joy. God commanded you to have hope. So get over it. Yeah, you failed. We've all failed. But let's get on with our lives and let's rejoice in the Lord. Let's have some hope in our lives because we can't live in depression all of our lives. We are designed by God, the very design of our body. I mean, when you live in depression, you're destroying your own physical body. That it's in our DNA to rejoice and to enjoy life and to have some hope, some future in front of us. So they weep, but then they're called to hope. So this day of the blasting of the trumpets, Yom Teruah, this day, That begins this very evening. This holiday is a day of great revelation. A day of understanding of the living word of God. When the word of God is revealed and we understand this. Is this not a prophetic picture of the second coming of Jesus? The Bible says that in that day we will know him as he knows us. That right now we only know in part. And we only prophesy in part. And it's like we're looking through a mirror that's actually not even a very good mirror. It's it's dark. You know, it's like a mirror that's all muddy and messed up. You can see it. You see Jesus. And what we think we know about Jesus now, we have to understand that that, that's not even 1% of what we'll know then. And when we see him, we will know him the way he knows us now. Okay? So it's a revelation of God's word, an opening up of the living word of Jesus. And it says, All the people... You see, at the end, they had a great festival, the marriage supper of the Lamb, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Well, the word is Jesus, because now I see Jesus, and I really understand him. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. Grace and supplication. Not just supplication. Supplication is like the repentance part. There's no good repenting and weeping and crying without God's grace because it won't get us anywhere. We're just wallowing in the mud of our own sin then. But I will pour out on them the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and they will mourn for him, which of course is prophetically speaking uh, hundreds of years before it happened of the crucifixion of Jesus but the one that they pierced with their nails, they will look on me, and they will see those scars, and they will realize that I am the Lord God, that they will look on me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him, for Jesus, as one mourns for an only son, and they will weep bitterly over him like the weeping over a firstborn, and then all of Israel will be saved. So says the Bible. In Acts chapter 9, we just went through this, but we see this same uh, thing happening in Acts 9, uh, verse 3. When Saul's on the road to Damascus, it says, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around Saul, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? I know you're God, but what is your name? The same thing Moses says to him at the burning bush. What is your name, Lord God? I am who I am. Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but get up and enter the city. All of these stories speak about what the day of trumpets, the feast of trumpets, is all about. What we are supposed to be putting God in remembrance of and putting ourselves in remembrance of is that Jesus is coming back. And he is calling us into his presence He is opening the door for us to enter his kingdom and to live in his kingdom. This is actually the most important event. This evening is the most important event that has happened in this entire season. It's not something you're going to hear about in the news. It's not something people are talking about in the world. We're talking about war these days, okay? We're talking about ex-presidents being put in prison for some reason. We're talking about all kinds of things in the news. But nobody's looking to heaven and talking about maybe this is the year Jesus is coming back and we better get ready. But every fall we should be reminding ourselves that one of these years Jesus is coming back and will we be ready when he comes. This is a season of hope. It's not a season of depression. It's not a season of fear. It's a season of hope because even if you were to die now, you know, in Russia, everybody's talking about the the mobilization, drafting of people. It's like big news and it's all over in in America too right now and and of course, I mean, if I was being drafted right now to go to the army, first thing I'd be thinking, into an actual war, first thing I'd be thinking is, am I going to come back? I mean, it's totally normal to not want to die, right? It's kind of weird if you want to die. That's not really courage. That's probably some kind of strange disease in your mind. But you know, courage is when you know that you might die, but, but you're willing to overcome that fear and go into what you need to go into for, for love of country or God or what, whatever it is. Right. So everybody's talking about that, but the message of this season is whatever situation you're in in life, if you're facing cancer, if you're facing this, if you're facing that, You know, even if you die, the death is actually the doorway to get to be in the first place of the resurrection. You get to go first. It's actually a privilege. The Bible says that. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says, you know, people started dying in the church and everybody was worried about it. And they had all their mourning, you know, things, ways they would mourn for people, the way the world mourns for people. And he said, I do not want you to mourn the way the world mourns. It's okay to mourn. It's right to mourn. It's healthy to mourn. But don't mourn the way the world mourns as if there's no hope, as if that's the last time you're going to see that person again, because that's not true. The dead in Christ shall rise first. They're going to get out of the grave before you even get changed. The blessing's going to be for them. So there's nothing to fear. It is a season of hope. Now, I've talked about this when we were going through Revelation on uh, Tuesday evenings. And uh, if, if you're missing Tuesday evenings, you're missing out. And that's what, one of the reasons why we're having youth now is gonna start on Tuesday evenings, and Shalene and, uh, has some really good things on her heart to share with you. It's really good. And we're gonna gather here and worship, and then the youth are gonna go over to Chisholm Hall. Uh, we're gonna start that, this, uh, not this Tuesday evening, but the next one. Uh, and a part of the hope is the youth will say to their parents and grandparents, well, you need to come to church too. Because our, our crowds have been waning on Tuesday evenings. But, but the glory of God hasn't been waning. It's just growing. So get here on Tuesday evenings if you can. So, um, uh, uh, But a part of what, uh, a prophetic part of understanding this is, uh, another part is that the Feast of Trumpets, okay, listen to this, the day of the blasting of the trumpet was also a signal to the people of Israel. And it's still celebrated like this in Israel. That there comes ten days of repentance, okay, 10 days of repentance, 10 days when uh, God, this is kind of the rabbinical understanding, but it fits in with the book of Revelation, he is making decisions about whose name gets to remain in the book of life, you know, in the book of Revelation, it's all about the Lamb's book of life, and so when Yom Kippur comes, the day of atonement that we'll talk about next week, and the high priest takes the offering into the Holy of Holies, and he only does this one time of year, that's the day when if your heart is right with God, then your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm talking about rabbinical tradition here, but it really applies to this also. It's a time of remembrance, a time of calling ourselves back to this covenant. Are we walking in this covenant as his holy people? It's a time of repentance to bring ourselves back to the place where we are to be. Now go with me over to Leviticus chapter 23. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, the third book of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 23. If you've never read Leviticus, it's an amazing book. But you need to put it together with the rest of the Bible. But there's a lot of stuff in here that's kind of hard to read sometimes. And there's some shocking things in this book, but it's an amazing book. Someday we'll do a series on Leviticus. It's awesome. But Leviticus chapter 23, that's the chapter where all seven of these holidays are set out, okay? But we're just gonna look at verse, t- verses 24 and 25 right now. Um, Leviticus 23, verse 24, well, begin with verse 23. Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, On the first of the month, you shall have a rest. So notice the first thing is you are supposed to take the day off. A reminder by blowing of trumpets. A holy convocation. So it's a reminder. is to put you in remembrance. And there will be a blowing of trumpets. And it's a holy convocation. Convocation, that means you have to gather together. Everybody has to come together for this. These are the... um, I'm sorry, you shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. So the two things required by God's command in this, are: number one, you should not do any laborious work, okay? Uh, You should take a day of rest, okay? And if you've got something scheduled this afternoon, it's okay, you're just supposed to take it when the evening starts, that's when it actually starts. And of course, the New Testament says, let no one be your judge according to these things. And, and you know, I'm not going to be teaching on that right now. We want to understand the Sabbath rest that God has for us, though. Because whether you have to work today or not, God has called us to live in his rest, to walk in that rest. However, it's a very true principle of life set out in the word of God from the very beginning. That there should be one day a week, at least, when you gather together with God's people to worship him and when you just take a break, okay? And that's the hardest thing of all for us to do, but it's what God has called us to do. So this day of rest, uh, you shall not do any laborious work in this day, and you shall present, Then the second thing is that you need to present an offering by fire to the Lord. So an offering uh, by fire needs to be presented uh, unto, unto the Lord in this day. A burnt offering. So here's what a burnt offering signifies in the scripture. There are different kinds of offering. But a burnt offering, as you can imagine, is a complete break, a complete separation from this world, a complete separation from our flesh. It's a total commitment. Okay? A burnt offering is a total total commitment. Because once it's burned up, you're not going to get it back, right? Once you burn all the meat, you know, with many of the offerings, they were supposed to eat that meat right? But if you put, people used to put a roast in the oven on Sunday mornings and come home and it'd be ready, right? Nobody does that anymore, I know. But if you put a roast in the oven, you know, and you forget about it, and you get there and it's all burnt up, you're not going to be eating any of the meat, are you? Because it's already a burned offering. So a burned offering, as the Lord commanded them, is speaking about, and they understood this, it's speaking about our own flesh. You know, we're off, we're, an offering is supposed to take the place of us, right? When they would bring a lamb and offer this lamb for their sin, that was to take the place of themselves because they couldn't offer themselves. God never required them to present their children as burnt offerings or to die, die themselves. You know, God's not requiring from you that you walk 20 miles through broken glass and whip yourself with, with whips or something like that. That's not going to do any good because you cannot bring yourself as an offering because you have sin, you have leaven. You have failures in you. You're not an offering who's accepted by the Lord. The Lord would not accept from them a lamb that was blind or a lamb that even had a blemish. If it had a little spot on its, on its, on its wool that wasn't exactly perfect, the Lord would not accept that. They had to offer to God their very, very best. So, you know, uh, John is very right this morning talking about the 10%, but remember, God wants your t- the best 10%. Don't give him the junk 10%. You understand know what I'm saying? God wants our best from us because that's the offering that we, that we give to him. So when they brought a burnt offering, they had to bring the best thing they had and they had to burn it up completely. So nothing's left. They didn't even get to taste that lamb meat or whatever it was. It had to be a burnt offering. So it's speaking of our total commitment to the Lord. And it's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament of what it means to be a Christian, of what it really means to be, to be saved that we walk in his presence week after week. So in verse 1 of Revelation 23, just look over there for a minute. It says, The Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. So he's going to give seven times, right? If you read this whole thing, you'll see that. But before he gives the seven, the first thing he says is this. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You are supposed to gather together on this day. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. Okay? Now, just for one second, I'm going to touch on this because I get questions about this. Why then do we have church on Sundays and not on Saturdays? Okay? And it's take a, way too long to explain everything, but you can see in the book of Acts already that they do gather on the first day, because that's the day Jesus was resurrected from the dead, and so we've already talked about this. We see two holidays, the, the uh, day of the first fruits, which is the day of the resurrection, and Pentecost, which both always happen on a Sunday, and we walk and live in that Pentecost Today, and that's where the Sunday tradition comes from, okay? That's not to say it's wrong to gather on Saturday. You could do a different day if you want. You know, Catholics have Saturday evening, right? And people think it's Saturday evening, but even in that system, actually that's Sunday morning because all biblical holidays begin in the evening. So there's a whole lot of stuff to explain there, but just trust me, it's good to gather on Sunday. It's wonderful, and in our culture, Sunday is a traditional day off because of that reason. And so for most people, it is a day off. And for many, many people, they work more often on Saturdays than on, on Sundays. So that's just saying that. But that's not really what I'm preaching about. What I want to talk about is this. The book of Hebrews says that we have a rest, that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's written to Christians to admonish us because what's being said there is you are not walking in the fullness of the Sabbath rest. You're still trying to earn brownie points with God. You're still trying to make your own way. You're still trying to prove what a real man or woman of God you are. And you need to enter into his rest. You need to enter into his peace. (laughs) You're still depressed. You're still worried. You're still upset. You need to enter his rest. And entering his rest is not something... Why did God tell them to do that every week? And that's the foundation for all the seven holidays. Because it's not something that we can stay in in our flesh. We're just not, we can't do it. You know, since Adam and Eve took the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, our flesh has been designed that we have to work all the time. And this world is against us. It wasn't created like that. But it is like this now. Your grass is going to have to be mowed. Your weeds are going to have to be pulled, right? You know, your car is going to break down. You know, all these things, everything in this world is against us resting. Nothing in this world wants us to rest. And so God knows that six days you're going to have to work. But on that seventh day, you might just have to walk to church if your car's broke down. You know, but on the other hand, Jesus said, if your donkey fell into a hole in the Sabbath, you'd pull it out, wouldn't you? I, I told that story one time years ago when I was a pastor. This was in Russia, and my car got a flat on Sunday morning, and I, had to, I was late to church. And everybody's like, why are you late to church? I got a flat tire. Well, you should have just come to church. And I said, well, Jesus said that if your donkey falls in a hole, that's about the same as a flat tire. Go ahead and fix it. It's okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to put some guilt on you about Sundays, okay? Everybody just needs knowing their own heart. But what we're talking about really isn't just about the Sunday morning church service. It's about resting in the Lord. Walking in that rest. So every Sunday, for me, just these couple of hours we're together and getting up in the morning and getting here, it's it's not a job because I'm the pastor, I have to do it. If I'm not the pastor, I'm going to church anyway. It's a reminder to myself that this is how I'm going to live for all eternity. A thousand year reign of Christ and then all of eternity in the rest of God. Because when God created you and me, he created us on the sixth day. He created us on Friday, and the first thing he did, the first morning we woke up, we woke up in Adam. Eve wasn't even around yet, but Adam wakes up, and Eve, she, she was actually around. The Bible says she was in him, right? But, but so Adam wakes up on that first day, and, and what are we doing today, God? What are we going to build today, God? And God, oh, we ain't building nothing. We're just having a rest. Ooh, what's a rest? I haven't even done any work yet. Yeah. That's right. You haven't done any work yet, but you're going to find out what rest is before you find out what work is. And then tomorrow you can go work the garden I built for you, and that'll be wonderful. But the first thing is the covenant, then the law. The first thing is the rest, then the work. The rest is the most important thing because it's first and and it's last. Understand? And so this holiday is about entering into rest. When Jesus comes back, we will enter into rest. And the first thing that will happen, before we judge nations, before we judge angels, all that's going to happen, before we rule and reign together with Christ, whatever that's going to mean, that will happen, but the first thing that will happen is we're going to go to something called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you've only been to American style weddings, you've never been to a wedding feast. First wedding feast I ever went to was in Belarus where, where Tanya's from people in other countries, they know how to have a a wedding feast. And it goes on for days. And this is going to go on for days. The first thing you're going to do is party with Jesus. Before before you're sent to work on anything, you're going to learn what rest means to God. You're going to feel his love. You're going to know his love and be joined to that family in the second coming of Jesus Christ. What I'm telling you is Bible stuff, okay? So... 1 Corinthians 15. I won't take the time to open that. You can read that later. Uh, it it talks about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 also, that when the last trumpet sounds, that's when this will happen. So there are seven trumpets. You don't need to guess about it. It tells us in the book of Revelation. And when the last trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ shall be ri- shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up together to meet With the Lord in the cloud of glory, at the top of that Sinai, in the cloud of his glory, where you hear the sound, but you don't just hear it, you see the voices of God. And you see the blasting of his trumpet, joined into the presence of God. Because, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's another way of saying, you're not taking any of this stuff with you anyway. None of it. Whatever's so important to you today, it's going to be gone. You're not even taking your clothes with you. You're not even taking this same flesh with you. It's going to be changed. If you're sick enough or old enough, you're already happy about that. Okay? (laughs) There is a time in life when you're not thinking about that because you feel all that vitality in your body and whatever. But you're not taking this with you. There's going to be something new. It's a season of hope. So let's end by looking at Matthew chapter 24. And this will just bring it all together. Matthew chapter 24. And hopefully you'll understand something here that's kind of confusing for many people. Matthew chapter 24. And um, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 29. Uh, sorry, verse 29. But before I do that, I want to read verses 21 and 22. Verses 21 and 22. So Jesus is talking in Matthew Chapter 24 about his second coming, right? And um, he says in verse 21, it says, For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Now, if you've been coming on Tuesday evenings, you've heard me talk a lot about this. But this great tribulation is the last three and a half years. Okay, that's the time of the great tribulation, and there's a last, final seven-year or Sabbath uh, uh, period of years—seven years—that will come. And I'm not going to go into the details of how we know the beginning of that, or or you know the beginning of the great tribulation. But Jesus says that this great tribulation will come. And I believe with all my heart that. And I'm not going to argue with you about it, but I believe with all my heart that if you have some overriding sense that that's not going to happen to you because you're going to get raptured out of here before that happens, that you are mistaken. And you need to be prepared to walk with the Lord because He says it will come at the last trumpet. And there can't be a last trumpet before the last trumpet, which is the seventh trumpet. But we've gone over that a lot on Tuesday evenings. But remember, I told you that there were 10 days of repentance between the blasting of the trumpet. And Yom Kippur, uh, which is the, the day of, uh, that will be fulfilled in Jesus' second coming, when Jesus does it all himself. And um, so 10 days. If you've been coming on Tuesday evenings, you know that we talked about 30 days, uh, because Daniel talks about 1,260 days. If you haven't been coming, you might get confused now, but it's okay. And he also talks about 1,290 days. So there's a 30-day difference there. And, but the Jews have always had this understanding, from the most ancient of times, that there would be a period of time before the coming of Messiah. Now, they messed up on their understanding of when Messiah was coming. It was going to come a first time to suffer and a second time. But they've always had the understanding there would be a period of testing. Remember, Moses said that God is here to test you today. There's nothing bad about being tested by God. Being tested by God isn't the same as being tempted by God. Nothing good ever happens in life without a test, right? Anything good that's going to be done has to go through a test. Gold has to go through the fire to be purified, right? Everything has to be tested. And so there was always this understanding of a period of testing, which is signified by these 10 days between the Feast of Trumpets and Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, okay? So why does Daniel talk about 30 days? Well, here's something just interesting I want you to notice, that whatever this tribulation is like, and I believe that we are on the cusp of it already, okay? I believe it's actually possible that the seven years has already started. There's no reason that it couldn't have. It could have. We don't don't know that. But the actual three-and-a-half-period year of great tribulation has not begun yet. But whenever it comes, this is Jesus' promise that I want you to remember. Maybe you don't understand it now, but I promise you, you need to burn this into your mind and just remember it for the future. He has promised that there will be a great tribulation, but the days of that tribulation, they will be cut short. And if they're cut short, 30 minus 10 is 20. If they're cut short by only 20 days, do you know Maybe we have not lived through them in our personal lives, but there are people who are our fathers or grandfathers, mothers, grandmothers, etc., who have lived through times like this. That when you're going through a time of great tribulation, even one-day reprieve could mean the difference between life and death, all the more so a 20-day reprieve. Whatever it means, whatever all the numbers mean, we know this, that Jesus said those days will be cut short. He doesn't say by how much, but they will be cut short. So it won't go out to the full three and a half years. They will be cut short. Otherwise, no life would have been saved. Nobody would have even alive, would even remained alive on planet Earth. That's how desperate that tribulation will be that is coming. Such as, he says it's, it's a tribulation that's never occurred from the beginning of time. Worse than anything that's ever happened in human history. That's what's coming. That's why I always like to say, well, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But it will get better. Verse 23, uh, I mean, verse 22, he says, but they will be cut short. And why are they going to be cut short? For your sake. For the sake of the elect. Those days will be cut short. So God's going to save you out of here. And bring an end to this before it gets so bad that we utterly destroy mankind. And yes, we actually have weapons that can utterly destroy mankind today. But God won't allow it to go that far. I didn't say he wouldn't allow a nuclear war to happen. I don't know how these things are going to happen in Revelation. But we need to have hope, not fear. This is a season of hope. So go with me over to verse 29 and remember that about the days being cut short. So in verse 29... It says, uh, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Pay attention to that. What day does the Feast of Trumpets begin on? The new moon, right? And what happens when there's a new moon? That's not a full moon. That's the opposite. The moon gives no light. When there's a new moon, it's dark. Tonight's a great night to see stars because there's a new moon. Okay? The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. We've just read about that. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And listen to verse 31. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. Jesus says this here. It's repeated in 1 Corinthians 15. It's repeated in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's repeated in the book of Revelation. How many witnesses do we need? They will go forth with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect. That's what's commonly called the resurrection and the rapture. They will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other, on eagle's wings. Do you see it all coming together with what Jesus said? And he tells us exactly when it's going to happen. He says it will happen after the tribulation of those days. So don't think, please, that there's no way in this world you'll ever go through that tribulation. Because I believe you are wrong. He said this will happen after the tribulation of those days. I'm not going to argue with you if you think that. I'll be perfectly happy if I don't go through it. But nobody wants to go through tribulation. But we need to be prepared for what's coming on this earth. It will happen after those days. Then verse 32, he says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. These are what Jesus says. This is coming at a great trumpet that will sound. And we need to know the season. Notice that Jesus says you should know what season you're in. That this is a season of hope. Don't give me that excuse of no man knows the day or the hour. We'll talk about that in a second. The first thing he says is this. You need to know the season you're in. He says you look at the fig tree. And when it puts forth its green leaves, you know it's about time for it to bear fruit. And we know what the fig tree means because Jesus cursed a fig tree. Do you remember that? He cursed the fig tree because it had green leaves, but no fruit. When there's green leaves, there ought to be fruit. And the fig tree symbolizes Israel. So he says, if you're alive and you see Israel putting forth green leaves again, if you're alive and you see Israel after 2,000 years, it becomes an independent and sovereign, more than 2,000 years. An independent and sovereign nation again, If you see Israel, and like in 1967, when I was three years old, my generation, and Jerusalem becomes the capital of Israel again, if you see these things happening, then wake up. Jesus is coming back really soon. And we need to know the season that we're living in. And living in that season should not be a season of fear again, but we need to renew our hope that our Savior is coming. He's coming in the clouds of glory. We need to lift our eyes up to the sky. What does it say in the Psalms? I will lift up my eyes unto the mountains. From whence cometh my help? I will look to the sky. I will lift my eyes up to Jesus and not have them buried in wars and rumors of war all the time. But renew the hope that's in our hearts today. We should know that this is a season. We should know that it's right at the door that it's happening very soon and that this is the generation. I actually believe with all my heart that my generation is the generation. And if I'm wrong, I'm okay with that because if I die, I just get blessed first. But I want to live to see this. Look at verse 36. He says in 36, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone, now, that's real confusing for a lot of people. How can Jesus be God and he doesn't even know what day he's coming back? Well, I mean, it's, it's confusing. But it doesn't need to be confusing. Because the first thing is that our understanding of God being all-knowing is not perfect because we're not all-knowing. So we just have to believe him at his word and what he says. But listen to this. Jesus did not say you shall not know the season. We know the season. It will happen in the fall. I can guarantee you that. Because he fulfilled, that's why I had to go over that that chart at the beginning. I thought, I'll just have him just look at it because it'll save more time. I thought, no we need to go over it. Every spring holiday was fulfilled exactly to the day. And thus the fall holidays will be fulfilled also. Only Jesus said, I'm going to cut it short a little bit. So that, number one, that it's going to be cut short, is the first reason why Jesus said, no one knows the day or the hour. Not even me. Because Jesus isn't in charge of cutting it short. That will be by the word of the Father. Understand? So Jesus is saying, I can't tell you the exact day or the hour because I'm waiting for my Father. I just told you it will be cut short. So it won't happen on that exact day. But it's going to happen in that season. And I'm going to wait for my Father. He'll say when to cut it short. And here's the other reason why he says, I cannot know the day or the hour. And the angels don't know. Do you remember what day this feast begins on? It begins on the new moon, the first uh, uh, day of the seventh month. All the rabbis from the most ancient of times always always said that you don't really know when the new moon is until after the new moon happens. Remember I told you that this is, you can look on a calendar, this Rosh Hashanah, as they call it, is celebrated two days. Do you know why? Because they're not really sure when the new moon is. Why? Because you can't see a new moon, can you? And you don't know that it's a new moon until you get further down into the cycle of the new moon. And so every single holiday before this, what we look at, Passover is on the uh, 14th day of the first month. That's easy to determine because once you're into the cycle of the moon, and if you understand those things, as they had experts that did, you would know when the 14th day of the month is. But if it's the first day of the month, you're not really sure when that begins. At what exact moment does the first day of the month begin? Does that make sense to you? And so that's actually why traditionally they celebrate for two days because they don't want to mess up and miss out on it. And they're not really sure when it actually uh, happens. But it's strange that God put that out there prophetically from the beginning. That there's going to be a holiday that you won't know the exact moment when it's supposed to start, but you're commanded to celebrate it. You have to be there. But you're not going to know exactly when it's going to happen, but you've got to be there anyway. So maybe you better get ready ahead of time. Maybe you better show up a couple of days early just in case. Because you're going to get in trouble if you're not there. But you don't know exactly when it's going to be. How many of you would like to be invited to a wedding or to a birthday party? And on the invitation it said, make sure you're here. It's going to be awesome. And then it says date and time and you don't know. Yeah. It'll be in the fall but you don't know when exactly it's going to be. We don't like to live like that. But God predetermined way back in Leviticus that that's how you're going to live when it comes to the second coming of Jesus. You're not going to know exactly when it happens, but you have to remain ready. And then Jesus goes into these parables, the ten virgins, and, and the uh, 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 five of them are wise because they had enough oil and they're actually ready. But nobody knows when the bridegroom is coming, do they? They know it's going to happen today sometime, but they don't know the exact time. And then the uh, three servants who are given five talents, two talents, one talent, they don't know when the master is coming back. So they have to just act like he's coming today and get ready by using their talents. Because you don't know. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't even know the day we're going to die. None of us do. And so we have to be ready today and live ready and walk in that hope So the rabbis always explained that the proper day and hour were impossible to know because of the darkness of the moon. Plus, on top of that, you might have a cloudy night. Then you don't see the dark moon at all. You wouldn't even see a little tiny crescent sliver. So you don't know when the new moon is actually coming. And so for that very reason, that's what Jesus is talking about. He says that nobody knows the day or the hour, not even the sun or the angels, because when they determine the new moon... There was a priest who was in charge of declaring new moon. But he's the expert. Only he can say this is the new moon. So only the father can command when this is going to happen. And he's not revealing all of his cards to you, is he? Sometimes I get frustrated with God. Why aren't you telling me what's happening? I only know a part of it. And then I realize if I was in charge, I wouldn't be telling everybody either. You know, I wouldn't just be laying it all out there so the devil would know everything. Some things have to be kept secret. And we are on a need-to-know basis. And what we need to know, we can know through the word of God. And we have to trust God with the rest of it and just be ready. Beginning with verse 37, and I'll just leave this this for you to read later just because time's running out. But if you'll read from verse 37 all the way down through verse 51, all the way to the end of the chapter, you will see that that's the rest of what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying there's going to be some people that just aren't ready. You know, he says there's going to be two men in a field. One of them will be taken and the other one will be left. One of them will be ready, but the other one won't be. We have an inclination as people to put everything off until a deadline. Don't we? I mean, it's just our human nature. We need to know the deadline when this needs to be ready. And then we can take a breather. Well, that's another month, you know. And then at the last second, we've got to get this all done. But what if we don't know when the deadline is? What if it's kept secret from us? And so Moses said to the people, just don't be afraid. Have hope. God has come in order to test us, in order that the fear of him may remain with us, so that we should not sin, so that we would be ready for his coming. Jesus says to stay alert. He says to remain faithful, and you will be blessed. He said the one who will be blessed is the one who is faithfully doing what I told him to do when I come. It says, the servant who is giving the food faithfully to his people, the mother who is raising her children and her grandchildren in the ways of the Lord, the father who is raising his children in the ways of the Lord, the pastor who's sharing the word of God with people, the home group leader, all the way down the line, whatever it is, wherever you are in ministry, as you're faithfully sharing God's word and feeding people, maybe you're not doing super exploits for God, but if you're doing what he told you to do, you want to be found doing what he told you to do on the day that he comes, and we just remain ready. What is the main thing he's been telling us to do? Well, if you keep going in Matthew, and you get to Matthew 25, the end of it, he tells something that's not a parable, it's a true story. I mean, a is a true story, but it's a metaphor. Of sorts, it's not really technically a metaphor, but you get it. Um, but at the end of Matthew chapter 20, I know there's teachers in here, I don't want to get in trouble. But Matthew <laughs> chapter 25... At the end of that, he he tells what's actually going to happen. When he comes, he's going to judge the nations, right? Separate the sheep from the goats. And what's the criteria? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, it says there, to the extent that you did these things or did not do these things to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it or you did not do it to me. So what we're really supposed to be found doing is loving one another walking in unity with one another, doing good to these, his brothers, who are in prison, who are sick, who are in need, wherever they are. Whoever they are, in our families, in our homes, wherever we meet with them, that we realize and understand that what we do to people, and it's not just, actually, I mean, it's true about all people, but notice that Jesus is not just talking about all people in the world. Because it's sometimes kind of easy to, I don't know about easy, but Sometimes it's a whole lot easier to go do prison ministry to people you've never met before. But what are you going to do with somebody in your own church family who gets put in prison? You know what I'm saying? What are you going to do with your own child or your own brother or those who are, you know, Jesus said to the least of these, my brothers. How you treat the church, there's the real test. And then maybe you treat the church great. But how do you treat your wife when you get home? Or your husband when you get home. I mean, what, do, what I as a husband do to my wife, do I realize that I'm treating her, what I'm do, how I'm treating her really is how I'm treating Jesus. How I'm treating my children really is how I'm treating Jesus. Right? And so there's a lot of room for repentance for us in these days, isn't there? There's a lot of call for us to rise up and be men and women of God and be the people that he has created us to be because our names are in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Let's uh, have the worship team come up here, and let's stand together. Father, I just thank you for this day of trumpets. I would just love just to blast on this trumpet, but I'm not very good at it, Lord. But let us just hear the blessing of your trumpet, Lord. I just pray, I think most of all, I just ask you today, Lord, that we would realize that the, just like the first, if, if we believe that you came the first time, that you died on the cross, you were buried and you were raised from the dead, and that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, that help us to really lift our eyes up to heavens, lift our eyes up to the mountains, lift our eyes up unto your glory, Lord, and realize that this is a season of hope. This is a season when you are coming again, and it could be this year. We don't know the day or the hour. But if it's not this year, it sure could be next year. It sure could be seven years from now. We don't have very much time left, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that we would live our lives prepared to meet you. Because the greatest days are ahead of us. The most exciting and greatest days. The things for which we were created. Things we cannot even imagine. What it will be like to live in your kingdom. To be with you in a thousand years of you ruling and reigning on this earth and we working together with you, Lord. And then entering into all eternity with you in a new heaven and a new earth it's something we've never experienced but somewhere way back in our memory there's still a garden of eden it's so dark it's so hidden from us but sometimes we feel that sometimes we still see the sound of your trumpet lord i pray that you would wake us up today that we would see the sound of your trumpet that we would remember the greatness for which we were created, the glory for which we were created, that we would begin to enter in and walk in that rest that you have determined for us, that glory that you have set out for us in this life, Lord. I just pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we give you glory and praise and honor. I thank you for the blessing of your trumpet, Lord, in our lives, and for the seven trumpets that are coming, and for that trumpet that will signify the change of everything you're coming again, Jesus. We look forward to that with hope in this season of hope. I pray this in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at Fellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF podcast.